right, so we're looking at Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. And Paul's kind of following up at this point what he's already spoken to us in the beginning of chapter 3. He's kind of started off with a warning, and, and uh, he's given the church a warning about those who will come in and will try to uh, deceive them by saying that they need to have uh, not only faith in Christ, but they need to participate in the Jewish ceremonial laws and uh, the uh, portions of of uh, the law such as circumcision and so Paul writes to warn them of that but he's kind of coming to a more specific uh, exhortation his goal in the book is to have them find their ultimate joy their ultimate treasure in Christ if you if you notice our, our slide our theme slide here the the theme of the book is joy but Paul doesn't ever say you need to have joy he says that that joy is the byproduct of being of, of the gospel of Christ of being uh, in community with Christ and in Christ, um, and, and it's, it's centered around Jesus. And so he never explicitly says, here's, here's the secret, here's how to have it. He just says, be in Christ, be found in Christ, know Christ. Uh, we are partakers in Christ together. We're partners in Christ. And so he, he uses this uh, term, these terms uh, off and on throughout the book in different ways. But what he's telling us is that ultimately our joy and our greatest satisfaction is going to be found in Christ. And we said that there's a difference between uh, you know, joy and happiness. Because when we look at happiness, happiness is based upon circumstances. And, and when we base our, our happiness upon circumstances, our happiness, uh, we, can, we can tend to become unhappy pretty quickly. You know, there's, uh, I've seen this video uh, recently that's going around uh, YouTube where uh, they, this uh, guy gives someone like a lottery scratcher and uh, and they scratch it and and they uh, find out that they're a winner they're like I won like the jackpot like I'm like a millionaire and they're they're like freaking out and they're like rolling around on the ground like hysterical laughing they're so like it's just amazing and the guy and then the guy's like who's filming he's like find out find out how we can redeem it so they turn it over the turn it over the back and it's you know it's like this joke lottery ticket it's like you, you this ticket can be redeemed like never this is in your dreams you know it's just like this set up thing and then this person all of a sudden their happiness just tanks and they're just so angry so mad because they're they're that momentary uh, uh, situation was dictating, you know, their future plans and how they were going to feel. And then often what happens is we let our happiness dictate our future plans. But Paul says that there's a better way. He says that the way that you should truly invest uh, in is joy. Because joy isn't based on circumstances. It's based on your knowledge of Christ. It's easy to place our happiness in things that we, you know, come into our lives. And there's nothing wrong with having happiness in circumstances, but Paul says that those things will never satisfy. And the reason is, it's because the things in, in your life and in my life, all of those things are temporary. You know, the, the, there's a moment where uh, it, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever thing you're experiencing, you know, you have a certain happiness in that. And you have a great experience, a great circumstance, but once you move out of that stage of life or once the tragedies of life take place, those things can be quickly changed. And the things that we find happiness in are often temporary. But Christ is eternal and infinite, and so it's something, he is something that you can never lose, and so your joy can be everlasting when you find your joy in Christ. 
And so that's what Paul is exhorting uh, the Philippian church to. That's what he's been speaking to. And there's been some disunity within the church. And, and when there's uh, conflict and disunity, it's a distraction. And so his exhortation to them has been, stand firm, stand side by side. He's used this uh, militaristic image where you would see an army heading into battle, where they're standing side by side, and you know that the people you're fighting beside have your back, that you are united in, in your battle together. And, and so he's been exhorting them to that. Uh, the last thing that we saw is that Paul is speaking to the fact of his upbringing, and that all the things that he had in Christ, or all the things that he had in his own uh, secular, or I guess it was religious, because he was a Jew, he, he speaks to that in, in uh, verse 7, you know, he tells us, uh, everything, uh, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Earlier, he tells us that gain is that he was, uh, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a member of the house of, of Israel. He was a, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was like one of the most important tribes. And, and so he says, all the things that I was apart from Christ, those things are nothing now. And he's going to speak to us this morning about how we can press on, how we can, how we can um, move forward in faith. Now, in, ch in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 10, he speaks to us of the process of uh, justification. Justification is a fancy kind of way to, uh, to explain that we have been declared innocent. That's what it means, justification. It's, it means that you don't owe, you are innocent, you are free. And the law stands against you and I because we are sinners, and Christ paid our price at the cross, and when he did that, we were justified. We were declared innocent before God because when God looks at us, he actually looks at Christ's work on our behalf, and we have Christ's righteousness. And so he has told us that the only way to have that is by being found in Christ. He tells us that it's not of our own righteousness, but it's because of Jesus. And now he's going to speak to us uh, with uh, some specific imagery talking about the next phase of life. It, uh, he's talking about this phrase that happens post-salvation, uh, post-coming to faith, post-justification, and that, that time is our lifetime between conversion, meeting Christ, and seeing him face-to-face. -face. And that process is the daily struggle that you and I go through. It's, it's life. And in that life, we're told that we are to be holy as God is holy. And so this process is called sanctification. It's being, it means being set apart. We're being fully refined and purified and to be less like the world. And so Paul tells us, here's how you ought to do it. Here's, here's what it's going to look like. Now, before we get to that, he starts off in verse 12 talking about uh, this idea of of his own righteousness. Read with me in verse 12. He says, Not that I have already or obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul, he, he confesses right away, he's not perfect. He makes this confession before you and before I and before the Philippian church. He hasn't yet become fully sanctified. He hasn't graduated. He's not like, oh, I'm, I did it. I, I was converted, and the things that were counted to me as gain, I counted them as loss for the sake of knowing Christ, and like, I'm awesome, and I'm perfect now. 
And Paul has made that point uh, for our benefit and the, for the benefit of the Philippians because it calls all of us. I mean, if you think anybody would have arrived, it would have been Paul. I mean, he wrote like portions of the New Testament. You know, he was, he was specifically knocked off his horse by Jesus on the road to Damascus. I mean, he had like a great testimony, this really gnarly experience where he was a persecutor of the church, but now is one who is being persecuted by those who formerly persecuted the church. He, it's just, if anybody would have done it right, it would have been Paul. But he says he hasn't yet obtained. He hasn't yet come to the point of perfection. And he's going to kind of give us his, uh, some workout tips is kind of what he's going to get to. He, he's telling us, you know, I've made, I've made the conversion. I've become justified. But now I'm in this marathon uh, to the end to see Christ face to face. And only when he sees Christ face to face will he, will he become transformed to know, uh, it, you know Jesus and be like him. And when we see Jesus face to face, we, we will no, no longer uh, have need for sanctification. But the next phase is glorification. When we have that, uh, that resurrected body, as uh, Paul tells us in uh, verse 11 there, he says he'll do anything by any means to, to attain the resurrection from the dead. He wants to have have that so desperately. And so uh, he, Paul tells us, here's what you got to do. You got to press forward. You got to look on and you have to strive to obtain uh, this. He says, I'm not perfect. Jesus said himself in Luke uh, 9 verse 62, he says, no one puts their hand to the plow uh, or no one who puts uh, his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you run a race, when you move forward, when you decide that, that you're going to follow Jesus, it's a one-way trip. You, you set your course and you only move forward. There's no looking back. There's no moving backwards. You're only headed in one direction. And so Paul tells us that he says, I press on to make it my own. He knows he hasn't obtained Christ yet. There's a sense of incompleteness uh, that compels him to press on. Now, this is hugely important for us to understand because oftentimes is we kind of look at our relationship with with uh, Christ as basically fire insurance. It's like, oh, I don't want to go to hell. I'm gonna, I should do this so that way I'm protected. You know, it's, you hear like kind of the Allstate guys. It's like voice, like I need to be protected from mayhem. You know, bam. He, you know, he's giving this example, and that's kind of the way that we treat it. But Paul says that there's no room for complacency. And oftentimes is, what happens is we tend to fall into uh, a mindset of complacency or a lifestyle of complacency. Complacency is the enemy of growth. And Paul tells us, I want to press on. I want to know Christ. I want to move forward in sanctification. And so when we are complacent, we're not growing. It's, it's, uh, it's actually pushing us uh, further back in our walk with the Lord, as we give root uh, or as we give place to sin and let that take over our lives. Now, Paul says he is compelled to press on. He, he, he sees that he hasn't yet obtained, and he's like, I got to go get it. I got I to gotta move on. I got to have my eyes on the prize, you know, and, and I have to move forward. I have to have a good game plan, and I got to execute it. It's not enough to just, to just have the, the theory, but you have to go and do it. 
James tells us this in terms of being hearers and doers of the word. We can't just be hearers. It's not enough to have book knowledge. We need to be doers of the word. We have to go and uh, execute it. You know, uh, I was having a conversation uh, with somebody at a recent uh, wedding that I performed, and uh, I, had, I had done the ceremony uh, off of my iPad, and this guy there who was FaceTiming like the wedding to like his relatives somewhere else uh, in like another country, he was, he was showing me after, he's like, oh yeah, I love my iPad, and he was like, we were getting to be iPad buddies, and he's like, it's great, I downloaded this awesome app, you know, and like I've been studying, uh, I've been studying this, uh, you know, uh, anatomy app, and I, you know, I know everything about this, like I could do, uh, I could do like an ACL surgery, I could go in and I could perform it, like I've gone through, I have the different levels of Zoom, I'm like no one is going to just let you do that, like you have to go through, you have to have a mentor and doctors, and you have to go through the classes and experience it, and you work on cadavers and all this other stuff, just because you know how to do it in the app doesn't know how, that you know how to mean that you know how to do it in real life. I'm not going to let you do that. No one's going to let you do that. There's a difference between knowing about it and then executing it. And Paul's telling us we have to execute. It's not enough just to, to know and to be able to, to talk the talk, but we have to go and do. And so he says that he's going to press on. It means he's going to uh, move rapidly and decisively towards an objective. Now, before Paul became a Christian, before he met Christ, his objective was to persecute the church. His, he had zeal for the law. That's what his whole, his whole goal was, to destroy the church because he loved the law. And now, now that he's known Christ, he's pressing on in pursuit of knowing Christ. That's what he tells us in uh, verse 8 there. He understands that the purpose of his life in Christ is this intimate knowledge of Christ. He tells us he counts everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says that he's suffered the loss of all things willingly for his sake in order that he might gain Christ. So now his greatest desire is to know and enjoy Jesus. That's all he wants. All the other things that would distract him for that would, that would claim his allegiance are uh, that he, put, he puts them to the side. Now, let me also just kind of put in here, this doesn't mean that Paul didn't have friends, that he like didn't have, you know, like sweet dinner meals, you know, or like dinners and feasts with like his friends, and like they had music and joked, and you know, Paul wasn't just like this like missionary robot. He's made in the image of God. He's made for relationship, so it wasn't like, get out of my way, I'm moving forward. You know, anyone who's going to stop me, I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to smack you down and get out of my way. You guys are all distractions. Paul's, he's, he's trying to let his attitude, he's trying to let the, the, um, the passions of his life rub off on those around him. He's trying to say, this is what the thing that I'm most passionate about, and I want you guys to be passionate about too, and I'm going to move forward, and I want to I invest in you, I want to know you guys, I want to I love you and serve you well, and I want you guys to understand this and move forward in passion together. And so his reason here for wanting to know Christ, he says, because Christ has made, uh, made me his own, he tells us there in verse 12. The ultimate reason for Paul wanting to obtain Christ is that Christ has already apprehended Paul. He's caught, he's caught his attention. He's grabbed onto him. He's, a, he's, a, he's arrested him in a sense and said, Paul, you are mine. You belong to me now. You are no longer a persecutor of the church, but you, I have made you my own. 
And ever since that moment happened, Paul has desired to hold on to Christ uh, in, in such a passionate and, and uh, purposeful way. And so he's going to run hard after Christ. In verse 13, he goes on to exhort the church further. He says, brothers, he repeats himself here, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's like, I, I'm reiterating again, I haven't made it. If I haven't made it, you haven't made it. So let's move forward. Brothers, I do not consider it to, uh, that I have made it my own. Others might consider that they've kind of are, you know, have become perfect, you know. Others have considered that they're totally satisfied. When we get satisfied with ourselves, that prohibits growth also. Like, you know, when you're satisfied with where you're at, you're like, oh, I'm good. You're never going to move forward. You're never going to press on when you decide it's enough. You know, in, in, my, um, in, in my house, uh, we have kind of this saying. It's like our, it's like our family motto. And it, and it originated out of uh, my photography work uh, in, in high school. In my senior year of high school, I started a wedding photography business. And um, in, in developing it, uh, we came up with this kind of like motto that governed how we did things. And, the, and, the, and it's translated to every area of our life and, and uh, every area of, uh, of how we operate as a family. But the, the phrase that we use is, no bad work goes out, ever. No bad work. Like, good work might not go out. Only great work goes out. No bad work goes out, ever. No one sees it. No, there's no reason to save it and like work on it later. We just start over, scratch. Only good work goes out. Because when we give place to, to okay work or marginal work or mediocre work, then we're never going to press on and, and move forward and, and excel. And we're not going to come together as a family and create uh, new solutions and opportunities and encourage one another. It's going to be like, all right. It gives place for laziness. And so we, ex we encourage each other. Now, within that context, you have to have an atmosphere of grace because that could get real crazy. Uh, real, you know, real quickly, if no bad work ever goes out, nothing would ever get done. But there's, that, that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, don't be satisfied. Some have considered themselves to be satisfied, but I haven't yet arrived. I haven't reached the goal. He understands that he's off, like way far away from knowing Christ as much as he desires to know him. And then he says, knowing that he hasn't yet obtained the knowledge of Christ that he desires. He only has one goal. One goal. He's like, this is the only thing I'm going to work on. But one thing I do, he says, he, he's, he's this man of single purpose. He has a single uh, aim and ambition. He's like, here's what I want to execute. And all the other things are going to be secondary to this. I have one goal, one aim. And it's interesting that Paul phrases it this way because he resembles uh, the one person that we see in scripture who was called a man after God's heart, David. He, in, in the Psalms, he says, one thing I have desired of the Lord. He, he, has, this, he has this great desirous uh, relationship with the Lord where he wants to know him. And that will I seek after, he says. I, have, I desire one thing of God and, and that thing I'm going to seek after. Now, we know that David had all these other interests. He was like an awesome warrior, awesome hunter, great musician, great 
you know, writer. It wasn't that David didn't have any other hobbies or do anything, but he had an ultimate aim, and those, the things that he did were structured under the, uh, the umbrella of knowing Christ. David was a good writer, and he wrote good songs, but he wrote them to the glory of God. He, he did all things with the aim of knowing Christ. And so the highest priority in Paul's life, knowing uh, and enjoying Jesus, it, it takes his full attention. It, it puts uh, his whole concentration upon, uh, upon knowing Jesus. And now Paul gives us uh, some, some two phrases here that kind of explain how he does this. Okay? This is, uh, he does it through an illustration or uh, you know, an analogy here. He uses the picture of a runner of a long-distance runner. In, the, in that time, there would be, uh, you know, the Olympic Games and the Hellenistic Games that would take place. And so uh, for sport, they would have these guys who would just, they would have these massive marathons, and they would, it wasn't like they just ran in the track in the circles like we kind of have in our Olympics today. They would, like, run over mountains and, you know, through streams and uh, along the beach. It would just be, like, this crazy distance, uh, you know, with different difficult terrain. And so Paul, he gives us some specific things. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know, he gives us those two things. That's what, if you want to gain Christ, here's what to do. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Uh, in, in looking into this, I, I was learning a little bit about running, but I came across a guy who was an eight-time uh, marathon winner, this guy Bill Rogers. He's epic, and uh, his, his running resume is insane. He's won the Boston and New York marathons four times each. Like, just to win once would be, like, awesome, but to win four times each, two separate races, and he runs, you know, about 25 races a year, but he gave uh, some tips and they line up with what Paul is saying here. In, in uh, his advice, he says, if, you, if you're going to run in the midst of your marathon and preparing for your marathon, you need to remember why you're running. He says, you got to remember why you're running. What pushed you into this race? Why did you begin, why did you begin to train for a marathon? Why did you even begin to start this race? Now, Paul tells us that the reason that he did it was because Christ apprehended him, and he desires to apprehend Christ. And so he, Paul knows the reason that I'm doing it is so that I might know him and gain him, that I, might know, uh, that I might know him, that I might share in his sufferings, that I might attain resurrection from the dead. Paul knows the reason why he's running. And we know, similarly, that we're running this race because Christ has saved us. We want to know him and enjoy him. The second thing that uh, this guy says is that you have to run with a buddy. You run with a buddy, it's the only way to train, the only way to make it through uh, the marathon. He recommends running with a friend or a family member because it's an intense sport, he says. It's tough to do on your own and there's strength in numbers. Overwhelmingly, that is the message of scripture. You cannot be a solo Christian and make it through this life uh, and do well. You cannot make it to the end. You need others to come alongside you and encourage you. When you're tired, you need someone to come up behind you and be like, all right, man, come on, let's go. We're going to pick up the pace together. You know, you need someone to come alongside you, and you got all the supporters who are on the sideline who are handing you water, like, come on, let's keep going. 
the goal in a marathon is to finish. This guy gets to win, but the goal is just, just cross the line. You know, you're running for 26.2 miles. You just want to finish. You know, it, that's, that's uh, what Paul's getting at here. The, the third thing that this guy says is that we ought to stay mentally tough. He says, your mental toughness is going to be tested during these miles. Don't give in to periods of self-doubt and discomfort. Remember all the training you have done and have faith in it. Think about how hard you've worked and how rewarding it will be to complete your marathon. I mean, reading this guy's tips for running, it's exactly like reading, you know, someone exhorting you to continue your Christian, you know, race. You have to, you don't, don't give in to periods of self-doubt. Don't, don't let in those places of discomfort. Remember that you've already been saved, that Christ has already saved you, that you're a part of the family of God already. Don't let the enemy come in and lie to you. Don't give in to discomfort or, and don't give in to the sins of this world just because you're like, oh, I'm really tired. You got to keep running, got to keep pressing on. You've worked this hard. It's, you know, it's not going to be real fun to make it like 90% of the way and be like, never mind, I can't make it the rest of the way. I'm so tired. Even if you got to walk, if you got to crawl the rest of the way, finish the race. So Paul tells us his running tips here, much like uh, Bill Rogers, are to forget what lies behind. Now, Paul's using this in context of the things that are in, uh, in his life in the past as a believer. He's not talking about... Uh, he's not talking about all the things that he was before Christian, his past sins, anything like that. Paul's saying, the things that I've accomplished so far in my Christian walk, I can't be looking back at those. I don't have time to be like, oh yeah, I did a really good job at you know, preaching at that place. I don't, have a, I don't have time to sit back and admire you know, my Christian trophies of like all the good I've done or the people that I've ministered to. Paul's like, I, I don't have time for that right now. I'm in a race. I'm moving forward. I'm pressing on. He, he's already achieved so much. And if anybody had, you know, as we said, cause to look back at their trophies, it would be Paul. He had accomplished so much, done so much, taught so much. He was walking faithfully in the spirit. If anybody could have said that they have arrived, it would have been Paul. And he would have had the ability to look back at his trophies. But Paul says, I got to forget all that. Those things are distractions. He didn't let his mind dwell on those things. He didn't. He didn't keep thinking about, you know, the good old days of, oh, when I was, you know, when I was ministering in this church and I was in this church with these people, it was like so awesome. And if only where I'm at now could be like that, then it would just be so, if Paul did that, he would just be like, he wouldn't be moving forward with the people that he's with. He wouldn't be exhorting them and encouraging them and press, calling them to press on. He would just be looking at the past and, and uh, you know, creating these uh, poor benchmarks for himself. So he doesn't use this, his, his memory of past events, uh, things that God has accomplished in him and through him to create self-satisfaction. He doesn't use those things as opportunities to be like, well, that was really hard and I did a lot of good work, so I'm going to sit down and take a rest now. Paul keeps moving and he says that we ought to keep moving too. Don't get distracted by the trophies of the past. Don't get distracted by all the sponsors who are on the side who want to give you stuff, who want to like, you know, create this uh, curated running experience. This is just you, the road, and the people who are moving with you. That's it. You just keep moving. So we need to have this singular vision, this one ambition, this one aim. Uh, now, what he does do, 
he, he forgets the past, and then he strains forward to what lies ahead. Paul's practice of forgetting the past enables him to move forward, to, to strain forward into the future, to look at the road that's just in front of him. When you're running, if you look too far ahead, you're not going to see the changes in the road and the terrain, and you're going to stumble. If you look just far ahead enough, and what's in your immediate present vision, then you're going to uh, perform well. You're going to stay on your feet. You're not going to fall. You're going to be able to move uh, faithfully through the course. But if you keep catch yourself, you know, looking at the stars, you know, you're out in the middle of, of the race and you're just checking things out, you know, along the way, you're going to get lost. You're going to get off course. You're going to, you're going to find yourself in a place where you're not straining forward. Now, when Paul talks about straining, uh, he's using that word to communicate to us that he's using the most amount of energy possible. He is exerting himself to the uttermost. It's, he, he's putting it all out there. He, he's, he's progressing in his faith through the use of putting himself in an uncomfortable position. Because we all kind of want to jog like at the like, slowest pace possible. You know, I know when I go out for a run, I, I always try to like, get all of that oxygen debt out of the way early so that way I don't feel terrible the rest of the way, but I end up feeling terrible the rest of the way anyways, and that's just kind of how running is. There's not really ever a point. The, the reason that running is profitable and helpful is because it's taxing your body and it's creating, causing it to work hard and to exercise things that you wouldn't normally exercise. And so if you're ever running and it's really comfortable and you're like, oh, that was amazing, it was awesome, and it wasn't a lot of hard work at all, you're doing it wrong. You're not running you know, you're on a photo walk messing around. And so Paul says you have to strain, you have to, to, uh, to move forward. And, and he, when he talks about this, he's kind of using this um, picture of, of almost the uh, baton handoff. You know, when, when you see that in the, in the Olympic relays where they're, they're running with that baton and then they have someone who's running just in front of them and they have the, the stick and they're running and they go and they're straining as far as they can just so the other person doesn't have to slow down and momentum can keep happening. And, and oftentimes, you know, they'll, be, they'll run and strain even to the point that sometimes they'll just fall. They're putting all of their energy, all of their effort into moving forward. And so Paul expands his, his vision of the race now, knowing that he's so close to the finish line. In verse 14, the uh, last verse we're going to cover, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So Paul's manner of running, it's characterized, we know, by uh, forgetting the past and straining forward to the future. But now he, he looks at a broader uh, horizon. He sees the, the goal. He sees it in sight. He, he, he sees this, this finish line. Paul keeps running. He never gives up. He never slacks off. He never sits back in self-satisfaction. He keeps moving forward. That's what he's wanting to communicate to us. A, a runner should always concentrate on the goal ahead and keep moving forward. One of the, um, one of the tips that uh, the, the runners were giving was that you shouldn't count your marathon by how many miles you have. You should count it by laps. So you always have a short-term goal and then a long-term goal. So maybe uh, the marathon is broken up into uh, a couple laps of four miles each. So you're 
you finished four miles and you finished one lap and now you're going to go on to lap two and you're going to try to finish lap two and then finish lap three and by the time you get to lap three 12 miles are gone you're halfway there and so paul says that we ought to have these goals and it's smart of us to continue moving on in faith together by having short-term goals and long-term goals now these goals they're defined by scripture, by, by looking at how we can love and serve Jesus. And, and what we see them qualified as, Paul tells us, is Christ-like character. Later in uh, the book of Galatians, he will tell us that these things are the fruit of the Spirit. We want to see those things manifested in our lives as we pursue sanctification, as we become more like Christ and separated from the world. We should become more like Jesus and more, have more of the fruit of the Spirit. We should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things should exist within the life of the believer as you become more like Christ. You shouldn't, you shouldn't get uh, lose more control of yourself you should have greater control because we see here in uh philippians 2 uh verse 6 there that christ was obedient obedience requires self-control you need to hear and, and have this gentle approach he's humble those things characterize christ and so those things must also characterize those who are being set apart to be like christ so those are some uh, short-term benchmarks that we want to see uh, manifested in our lives. Now, Paul is determined to run this race well. He, he says that he presses forward. He, he forgets what's behind, and he, he strains forward towards what's ahead. He presses towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ. Now, He's determined to run this race well, not just from the start, but to the finish. It's how you finish that matters. Paul wants to move forward, and he wants everyone to move forward faithfully. He concentrates on the finish line. Uh, you know, no one ever asks, did you run in a marathon? It's, they want to know, did you finish? Who cares if you started, but did you finish? Lots of people, you know, start things, but then they don't finish. So finishing matters. And this is what, uh, you, you know, it seems like Paul is kind of speaking to us uh, out of what we find in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it tells us in, book of, in, in Hebrews 12, you know, this is a, a great passage that comments on this. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, about how we ought to run. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is those who are watching our race, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So he tells us there's two things that we're, we ought to do. Because we have so many people watching us and they're encouraging us and they're chanting our name as we run by, he says we, we ought to uh, lay aside every weight and sin. You notice how there's two separate things there. It's not just lay aside every sin, but there's also weights. There's just things that like, you don't need to be carrying. Things that are, uh, that are pointless. Sometimes, the, you know, our sin is weighing us down and says we got to cast that off. Those things cling to us easily. But also, sometimes we just have these extra weights on us. You know, and we need to get rid of those things, those trophies of the past, those things that are distracting us from moving forward. So he says that uh, we should run the race with endurance 
uh, that's set before us, looking to Jesus. So again, eyes on the goal, eyes on the prize, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So he's the one who called Paul, uh, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So so the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that Jesus has already run this race. He was the one who, who uh, you know, he's the founder, the perfecter. He saw that we were the prize before, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured that race. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. He's the victor. He's the one who's finished. So he's sitting there now in achievement. And then uh, he tells us in verse 3 of Hebrews 12, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So he's telling us, keep your eyes on Jesus, because this happened to Jesus, and Jesus endured well. So if anybody knows how to get through this, it's Jesus. So if you need a coach, you should probably talk to the one who's finished. And he's endured all the things that you're going to experience. You need to keep your eyes on him. But oftentimes what happens is when life gets hard, when we experience difficulties, when we experience sorrow, tragedies, we end up in the self-help section. We're like, what do we got to do to fix this? You know, you're wandering around Barnes and Noble or, you know, Borders or something. You're like looking at all these books, trying to find out like, okay, how can I get through this? How can I get through this season of life or, or uh, this circumstance that I'm in? And Paul says, look to Jesus who's already won. He is already the glorified son. He's already upon the throne. He's already finished. So if you're having difficulty getting through these things, go to the one who's already gotten through them. He's going to give you what you need. And so he's the one who has called Paul. He tells us, uh, Paul tells us he's moving towards this call that, uh, that Christ has placed upon his life. Uh, he says it's a prize. It's something that he's going to, that he's been given as a reward. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul will say to the Corinthian church, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul's telling them, don't be a lazy runner. You know, you don't enter the race to just, like, run it for the heck of it. You want to run, and you want to run well. Now, here he's saying, Christ has called me, and I'm going to call, and I, I'm going to run for that prize. I'm going to make it to the end for the upward call of God. And, and he, he's he's uh, letting us know that his uh, the reason that he's pursuing this is because God has placed this call upon our life. It's not Paul doesn't just decide he was interested in this. It's like I want to be a runner. This seems cool. This seems fun. God has called him, and he's responding to the call of God. He, he explains, or he, he kind of comments on uh, this, that it's God who calls us. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God's call upon your life and my life, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, begin at... Uh, the end of the race, it's at the beginning. He's called us to become sons and daughters. He's called us to walk with him and to know him. And he says, you're a part of the family and I want to see you face to face. So come to me. And then we begin running and we make our way to him. And then one day we will see him face to face. It's God who initiates and he's the one who calls us heavenward. And so Paul's 
uh, exhorting them that they've been called. They should pursue him. He, he's telling us that we've been united in Christ, not just because we're all uh, interested in running, but because we've all been called together. He's telling us we've got running buddies and lots of them. We, we can find unity in Christ because we've all been called by him. And so let's run the race well together. And this call is not based upon keeping the law that these uh, Judaizers who, will tell, who are trying to confuse the church will tell them. Like God's called you, but you need to do all these things. Paul's trying to tell them, God's called you, and you need to pursue Christ, and you need to pursue him together. But you're already members of the family. You're already in the race. You don't need to still join the race. You're already in it. So keep moving, keep pressing on together, encourage one another. Because when you're running, it's not fun. You just get discouraged. It's difficult. You know, you need someone to yell at you. I have this, uh, I have this app for when I'm running, which I don't run often, by the way. So don't think that, you know, I'm not giving myself any credit here. I'm a lazy runner. I've downgraded from running to the seven-minute workout. Um, but I have this app, this uh, Nike app, and when you run, it's, uh, you know, I, I first downloaded it, and we were checking it out, and I was showing, showing my wife, and we're sitting there, and I was like, oh, check this out. There's all these athletes in there, and you can download special packs from the different athletes. And, uh, and there's uh, one from uh, Vikings running back, Adrian Peterson. And, and so you download the pack, and it's like, it's all these pre-recorded things where he's like, where he like kind of will encourage you when you reach a certain level, and he'll be like, don't, don't leave any in the tank. Leave it all on the field. Keep going. You know, we're just cracking up, like cycling through these on the couch. But like one time I was out running, and we just thought it was the stupidest thing ever. But one time I was out running, and I was like actually going, and I was ready to quit. Then he came on, and I was like, I should keep going. Like I should, it worked. I was like, I was just making fun of this guy on the couch, but now, like, like he actually made me run, keep going. Like, I was about to quit. I'm like, never mind. Like, I'm totally good. And then he came on and started yelling at me in my headphones, and I wanted to keep going. It was weird how it worked. But that's the type of encouragement that Paul's trying to give to the Philippians here. He's trying to give to you and I. That we cannot just uh, move forward in, in life and say, like, we want to join the race, but we actually want to be spectators. Like, we, we want to get the medal at the end. We want to get the cool t-shirt. So we can say that we were part of it. Paul says you got to actually run the race and you got to do it together and move forward in knowing and enjoying Jesus together. And so it's by his Holy Spirit that, that, that is accomplished as he works in us. You know, as Paul told us earlier in the book of Philippians, who works in us to will, to have the desire to do it, to even want to do it, and to do, to execute it, to act upon it. So it's the Holy Spirit that's going to work in us both to, to even want to join the race and to continue on. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability and empowers us to continue on and to encourage one another. And so we want to rely on, on the Holy Spirit. We want to uh, pursue Christ um, with that intention to finish well. We want to finish the race well, as Paul will say you know, uh, later in his epistles. I, I have run the race. I fought the fight, so I finished well. We want to finish uh, in such a way as well. So let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to apply this to us, and uh, let's respond in worship together. Lord, we're so thankful that you have given us Paul uh, as an example of what it looks like 
to have it all together, to have everything that you would need to be a great example, but yet not have accomplished. Lord, it tells us that there's much work to be done and that we can't be complacent. We can't uh, be lazy, but we want to love and serve you faithfully together. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would remind us that uh, as, as believers that it's not about uh, checking off boxes um, it's not about accomplishing tasks for you. It's not about uh, acting a certain way necessarily. But Lord, we, we just simply want to know you. And we want to know you uh, in an experiential and relational way. We want to know you as our, our friend and our, our um, savior. We want to know you as our king. And so we pray that you would uh, open Lord, our hearts to have that greater desire. We need your Holy Spirit to work within us to create, Lord, just such a, uh, a more passionate um, pursuit of you. Lord, we want to um, lay aside every weight, everything that, any trophy, anything that would distract us from knowing you um, just more intimately. And we want to move forward uh, in light of straining forward, Lord, for, in light of knowing that we have been called and having uh, the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus upon our lives. And so help us to encourage each other well, Lord, to serve each other well. Lord, we want to be running buddies. We want to be there to remind each other of the reason that we've begun running this race. Um, Lord, we're thankful that you use us, Lord, um, to serve one another. Allow us to manifest the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Lord, in our, uh, in our lives for your glory. We love you. Amen.